Hello and welcome to our podcast, Oggy and the Alien, where we discuss all things movies. I'm Darcy Gabriel, he, him. And I'm Karen Gaylard, she, her. And um, our main feature this week is one that you picked, Darcy, and it's um, Parasite. But before we uh, dig into that, um, that film, we'll just cover anything that we've seen this week. What about you? Uh, so I saw an interesting uh, thriller mystery called Seek. Hey guys, Kes the Editor here, just popping in to let you know that the uh, movie Das is talking about here is called Searching, Not Seeking. It's a 2018 movie, it's a very, very good. So it's basically, it's, it's all from the perspective of different uh, devices, so you, you only see like a computer screen or a phone screen or things like that. Um, so a lot of the conversations you see are through video calls and stuff and and you see a lot of the story unfold through re- reading and sending messages or uh, looking through uh, web searches or, or whatever it may be. Um, and it's about uh, this dad searching for his daughter who goes missing. Um, so it's actually... Hmm? Is there actual dialogue in it? Yeah, plenty. There's plenty of dialogue. Right. Um, as I mentioned, there are video calls and stuff, and you hear things happen in the background as well uh, sometimes when the the video camera's on in certain circumstances. Oh, I see. Okay, um, I got to now. I thought it was just like looking at a computer screen or somebody types or, you know. No, 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 not at all, not at all. There's heaps of heaps of audio and dialogue yeah it's right. really good it's really fascinating it feels as interesting and as like it, it, it it's kind of like watching a um one of those netflix murder mystery sort of or crime mystery uh documentaries but from the perspective of uh the of a relative um and, and what they kind of, because it's all from his perspective, so you kind of see how he handles it, and it's very good, very well acted. So who's um, he seeking? His daughter. Right, right. So, yeah, <laughs> I said that. So his daughter goes missing. Um, yeah, so he, I, I think anyone who likes um, mysteries or sort of crime dramas or anything like that um, or just wants something really cool that's a really cool unique movie that's just phenomenal uh, I really it sounds it. like something that could have been made like really simply like maybe even just filmed on a handheld device or is it well like... because you're seeing what's on a computer it's like screen recordings that's oh, yeah. what it kind of is um you don't really have a need for a handheld device ever um there are a couple oh, okay. shots from like other digital devices that aren't necessarily computers, but it's all from like the perspective of a digital device, like a screen recording or something. Yeah, um, right. Just yeah, I, if you're at all confused, just watch it. And it'll be <laughs> I am. I, I yeah. I'm probably. I think you would love it. <laughs> no, that's that fine. As, as, as someone who, as you being someone who loves uh, mysteries and crime dramas and whatever, uh, you would love this. I think. And if well, Kez hasn't that... seen it, Kez would really like it. 
um, okay. <laughs> uh, well, that's probably a good segue into the film that I saw this week um, and it was just a Netflix movie that's um, trending at the moment called The Weekend Away. Um, I'm still pretty much stuck at home because the um, the floods here in Brisbane have sort of cut us off from a lot of things, including our local cinema. So, um, you know, if it's not streaming or on free-to-air television, I can't see it at the moment. Um but The Weekend Away, again, is um, similar to the movie you were talking about in that it's, um, you know, it's a bit of a thriller, it's a bit of a crime drama. It's about two young women who meet up for a weekend away in Croatia and um, one of them goes missing. And it's just, um, look, I wouldn't say it's riveting. It didn't have me on the, you know, on the edge of my seat or, or um, anything like that, but it was fast-moving which um, considering all the very, very long movies we've seen <laughs> coming out recently, having something where the plot, you know, there's big plot shifts every every few minutes it feels like in this movie. So it moves along really quick and um, and holds your attention and it's kind of fun. So Interesting. Interestingly, I was actually going to potentially watch this movie instead of Seeking um, because I saw it first. Uh, uh, the people I was, I was with when I saw the movie, um, when I watched Seeking, that one came up first. So um, we almost were going to watch that one, but then we saw Seeking and, and just went with that one. Um, yeah. Well, I'm not going to give away any spoilers with The Weekend Away because I don't want to spoil it for okay. people. Would you recommend um, it? <laughs> yeah, look, like I say, it's not going to probably blow your socks off, but... I enjoyed it. It keeps your attention and I think there's enough twists and turns. Some of them are a bit predictable, but some aren't, so it keeps your attention. Right. The only real thing I have, I've always got to have something that I have a problem with, um, the two women that are the best friends at the centre of the story, to me they looked about 18 but they're meant to be in their mid thirties, and and they are to be to be. Oh, that's um, common in movies, yeah. But but to be um, totally um, truthful, they are in their thirties as uh, real life people. Um, in fact, the um, the one who plays um, Beth, who's Leighton Meester, who people probably know from Gossip Girl, she's thirty five, and the character she was playing was thirty five. Um, and the other actor, I think, is in her early 30s. So they, they are the right sort of age. But just the way they played it, especially at the beginning of the film, it just made me feel like they were like 18 or 21 or oh, I like you very were, I thought you meant they were actually playing 18-year-olds. <laughs> no, no, no. They're actually playing actors close to their own age. But maybe it's right, just okay. the way particularly the character Kate was acting very young, yeah. I thought. And, you know, it really came as a surprise mm. to me that they both been ma- they were both married, one of them had a kid, you know, like, <laughs> anyway, that's maybe that's just because I'm old and they're young. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right, so should we now move on to discussing Parasite? the sort of spoiler free rundown um what did you think of the movie oh look i um i i think we saw this together when it first came out oh yeah we saw um, it in cinema yeah yeah yep and um was just really impressed with it the first time i saw it and watched it again yeah 
I remember yeah. you were very, very hesitant to to watch it. Um, it, it was sort of my suggestion, and it was very out of the box of what you might normally watch. Um, being a, what was uh, kind of, I I remember the trailer was quite uh, uh, horror esque. Oh, okay. You were, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. you were you were kind of keen, but you were wary. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. That makes, but I know that I know we all right. loved it. So, and I know. Um, yeah, we did love it. And, yeah, you're right. Like when you said it's not the sort of film that I would watch, it, in some ways it's it's right up my alley because I do like watching um, less mainstream sort of movies. I, I really seek out um, – I watch a lot of foreign films. I seek out things by um, different directors and different ways of stel- telling stories. Stelling stories? No, <laughs> telling stories. And, um, and so in that way it was up my alley. But, yeah – Yes, there's. This is sort of like two films mashed into one, which I won't, which we won't go into too much yet, because we're not in the spoiler territory yet. But um, I guess the first half is a lot lighter than the second half, and I probably do enjoy the first half a bit more. But the second half more. is also very entertaining. Yeah, I and mean, we'll discuss this more uh, later on. But I, I definitely see it as not sort of two halves, more as three kind of acts. Um, but we'll we'll discuss that more later. But um, yeah, let's sort of give our rating. Um, so I would probably, um, oh, what are we going to rate this one out of? Oh, what um, about um those landscape? Oh, pizza boxes. Pizza boxes. Okay. Um, well, How I many would give this out of ten. Uh, I'm going to say a nine point five out of ten. It's a, it's mm. almost a ten, almost. Mm. I, I in fact I I probably would. I'm just going to try my hardest to be extra critical this week. Right. So 9.5. <laughs> 9.5 out of 10 pizza boxes. Um, yeah, I'd probably, I'll go nine. Nine pizza boxes out of 10. Oh, okay. Even more critical. But you haven't given your sort of overview. Oh, I mean, we'll, we'll, all I can really say is, is sort of in the spoiler territory. There's nothing you can say about this movie that isn't a spoiler. It's a fantastic fantastic movie it is um on the scarier side in not uh not in any kind of a paranormal way um but it's just fantastic it's really fun at parts um certainly is a bit of a roller coaster if you haven't seen it i would definitely recommend it but you know if you maybe watch the trailer if you're a bit wary that it might be a bit too intense for you um because it could be yeah um, but if not, I, I would definitely watch it. Hmm. Oh, well, there you go. All right, so we'll get into the deep dive. Spoilers. What do you think? Oh, look, I really do feel that this um, is like two movies, two separate movies that somehow mesh together and and work <laughs> together. So the first half of the film um is almost a little bit slapstick like you know you've got this family who are all kind of con artists or doing what they have to do to get by they're very they're poor they have nothing really they fold pizza boxes to get a little bit of money and um very much living a a very um you know sort of hand-to-mouth existence and then they get this little leg up into working for the one of one of the members of the family. The the, the son goes to gets offered a job to tutor 
uh, the daughter of this very wealthy family. And, and he then schemes to get his daughter hired. The daughter then schemes to get the dad hired. And, it, you know, eventually they're all hired by the family. And you think, oh, awesome, that's what this movie is about. It's about this family conning this other family. And they really are like a mirror image of each other, aren't they? Because they're both fam a family of four, a nuclear family. Um, and, and one is really being a, a parasite of the other in the sense that they're just um, living off this wealthy family, but pretending that they're all individuals, that they're, they're not related to each other. And, um, and then at, at the halfway point, um, something happens. We can get straight into that. We're in the spoiler section. There's a there's a buzz at the door. I'll let you have a chance to talk in a sec, though. But um, there's a buzz <laughs> on the, at the doorbell, and um, and from that moment on, it really turns into a different kind of movie where there's um, a lot of menace, a lot of um, oh, there's a lot of blood, <laughs> a lot of violence. It because it really takes a turn, and um, if you're not expecting it, it can it can be a bit of a shock. It's a real tonal tonal shift yeah uh, it definitely is there's there is definitely a tonal shift but um it, it kind of it, it feels very um necessary to the movie to me it feels like that's sort of the beginning of the second act in a way that kind of part um i i feel like it's a sort of continuous journey uh the film not of any one character in a way uh each sort of do have their own kind of arc arc in different ways but I, I sort of took it as, as a continuous journey that had specific key points, as any kind of story does, I guess. Um, and this that point of uh, the doorbell ringing in the middle of the night, that is is it definitely one of the, the most pivotal moments, pivotal moments. But uh, that's sort of what kickstarts the real journey of these characters. This, the beginning is just their potential. In a way, it's the potential. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I see this as bringing them into the story much more because so far all they've done was funny, but it wasn't that crazy. You know, it was it was kind of crazy, but it wasn't that crazy. Um, and they would have just gotten off with a slap on the wrist. Probably. Well, it kind of <laughs> made sense, didn't it? You know, when you're living oh, that, totally. um, that poor lifestyle and you get offered an opportunity you're going to claw your way up and you're going to um and it was get as, clever, get as really. much out of it as you can and i think they say at one point how much money from this one wealthy family is pouring into their their family yeah you well, know that's that's exactly why you know what i find so ironic is that they so critically judge the people that they find in the basement or the person um they're like, you know, how can... Do we need to sort of explain? Uh, yes, but by now everything we've said probably needed more explanation too. I'm assuming that if people are listening to this part, they probably have seen it. But basically they find uh, because when they all start working at this house, the old maid who used to work there comes back in the middle of the The housekeeper, yeah. Housekeeper. Um, and uh, she just kind of they they let her in all confused um and she just kind of storms in goes down to the basement acting very strange and very creepy um and she doesn't come out and and the the, the current housekeeper the mom goes down 
um, realizes that she's trying to push a cabinet. So she helps to move this cabinet, which is jammed. Um, and it opens up and reveals a door. Down secret a door. A secret and door the, to a basement. Yeah, they're already in the cell. <laughs> they're already basement. down a flight of stairs. They open up this door and it leads down two more stairs um, into this hidden bunker. Two more sets of stairs, yeah. So it goes yeah. down a long way, yeah. Yeah, so they're down like three floors just about. Um, and from from the ground floor, really. And it's just this sort of hidden bunker with the old housekeeper's husband living there and he's been there for four years and and five months or something um yeah and uh and the the family that live upstairs the the park oh they have no idea they have no idea well they're such a kind of innocent normal family they have in their own little bubble they have no controversy um oh yeah I mean, they've Amongst got enough themselves. money that they can cushion themselves. They have themselves. what? I'm sorry. They, have, they have enough money that they can cushion themselves yeah, from anything that might be a, a sort of like, you know, yes, they all do get along fine, but it's because oh, to, try, I think, totally. you know, they, they spend a lot of time separate from each other. Totally. Um, what, I, what I just mean is that, um, like, they don't often, you know, any time you're watching a drama, in every kind of, closed bubble of, of relationships like as in any kind of group of commu- community in a way like a family being community or something like that there's always uh some like drama there or something something there in, in movies and stuff and in them there's really not much at all they're all outside of everything that's going on they're all just living in a perfect little bubble and nothing's mm-hmm. really there's there's no real if well, I think that's... About, like if you just made a movie about them per se it would be very boring oh yeah but i think that's one of the um sort of themes or um oh definitely, tropes that's definitely of the film yeah is you have this very um you know almost like they're growing in a hot house you know they they've got this perfect life that's just um contained because of their wealth in this exactly. beautiful house that they live in they, you know, the dad gets chauffeur driven to work. At one point, they mention um, that you know that time they went it down into the subway and there was a weird smell, Be- because they're so cushioned from all of that normally. Well, they're so protected they, from all of that normally. But um, dad mentions that. It's and then definitely the about wife the um, says that she can't even remember the last time she was in a subway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas meanwhile, the the poor family, the Kims. You know, they can't get away from that poverty no. because that well, smell lingers on them and that's, oh, yeah. you know, that's that becomes a thing. Totally. And one of the worst parts is when, um, see, see, I see it as like it's very much a film of descent. Like you see from the beginning, you see the ruthlessness of the dad. Um, it kind of makes sense the way he acts. In what because, way? Oh, I mean... When he's like at, from the very opening scene where their house is getting fumigated because they leave the window open and they're in a basement dwelling in um, like a really poor region, um, the streets are being fumigated and they, he says to leave the windows open so that the house gets free fumigation from all the bugs. And um, they're all complaining and he's just there folding the pizza boxes that they fold to make a living 
um, watching the video and he just tunes out everything. He just tunes out their cries of protest, everything they say, and just focuses like yeah. as if, you know, it's just kind of a, a ruthlessness. And you can tell this is someone who has like, uh, you know, in Korea being the traditional kind of providing father is a big deal um, and not being that uh, would potentially make a put a lot of social pressure on you um, as an individual. I feel like it's someone who's just kind of cracked a bit because he didn't live up to any kind of expectation that the world has for him. And yeah. he yeah, just he stuck whatever he can to get by. And he's just someone who's kind of a bit broken in a way. Very That's broken, what I was going to say. I was going to say broken. He comes across as, yeah, a broken Oh, yeah, sort of but it's, it's, it's also a ruthlessness that's evolved from that. His, his emotional barriers have kind of broken down to a point where he just uh, no longer seems to care that much about anything. Um, mm. And when and it seems like there's a total slow build up. You see throughout the film where they comment on on his smell, um, and when he when the fl- these awful torrential floods happen in their bla- basement dwelling, which, dwelling, which is down at the bottom end of the city, uh, floods, um, yeah, sewage water, and it's a really disgusting scene. Um, yeah, hard to watch. Uh, when the next day he's chauffeuring uh, around. The, the, the bus, wife. yeah. No, the oh, bus, the wife. wife, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and she says she's on the phone, and and she says the rain. She's they're so lucky for the rain. Um, like it was a good thing that it rained, but for, yeah, because it cleared the, the air. The two or sides, of it. yeah, totally. Yeah. Like it provided that one family, uh, a little bit of joy and caused thousands of people to be displaced from their homes um yeah well they basically become yeah. homeless. yeah oh yeah temporarily at the very least um mm. and it's just awful and, and you can see that really that comment obviously really gets to him it's just a gradual build up the whole way it gives me taxi driver vibes um that classic movie uh about a taxi driver who kind of goes postal um, it, it's that's why yeah, right. it feels like a succinct story with three kind of acts because you see these clear little like stories, the but the whole way the there's a there's a continual progression of each of the characters in a way, but especially the dad, um, and the three kind of acts are more just visual acts in a way. What happens through them is just what drives the arcs more. It's not necessarily uh, can the contingent factors. Mm. Mm. I think what you're saying is what makes it hold together for me. I still see it as two fairly oh, separate, but the fact that it is, yeah, the continuation of those characters, that the Kim family and, and how mm. these events affect them, it does um, hold the story. The two stories are then held together. That, that's sort of the, the arch that holds it all together. So. Yeah, I, I kind of agree, but I kind of have a different take as well. Um, just the things that they do as well um, to maintain what they have, like how casually the the, the current housekeeper, the mum, shoves down the old housekeeper down those stairs that oh. lead to the bunker 
when she's trying to escape and she just shoves her back down and she's doing yeah. the cook. She falls down and cracks her head. Um, oh, that just how casually she does that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even the way they got rid of the housekeeper, I mean, they really had to work hard. Oh, yeah. They, they got rid of the chauffeur pretty easily, but they really had to work hard to get rid of the old housekeeper because she was um, she was pretty much a permanent part of that part. She'd been there household. longer than the family had. Yeah, she came with the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, you know, they, they had to really scheme to get rid of her, which was really horrible and um you know what do you call it like um premeditated um series of events you know the 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 scene in the at the hospital where they make it out like she's got um a tb and then you know even soaking a, a tissue in fake blood to make it look like she's got tb like they really go to a lot of trouble to um fabricate this story about the housekeeper yeah. and get rid of her so i think you know they were pretty cold and callous before that but i agree that when that mum <laughs> casually pushes the housekeeper down the stairs um and and you know knocks her out really badly mm. it's it's a bit of a shock Totally. I mean, it's almost... what I find really interesting is that the Kim family are not very like. In fact, neither no, oh, families are terribly no, likable. You've got the spoilt yeah. family who just can have whatever they want and use and abuse that privilege. And then you've yeah. got the poor family who are, um, really can be quite horrible. But I guess the thing that you totally. like about them, and I was thinking about this when I was watching it. The thing that you like about the Kim family is they might not be nice to other people, but they hang together, you know, like they look after each other. They do, but in a very uh, selfish way. They <laughs> don't even seem to, uh, you know, have a community within their own neighbourhood, you know. They mm. don't play nice with any of their, like, kind of with anyone in the neighbourhood, like the way that they were complaining, arguing about the way they folded the boxes. Like, you know, you can't, there's a clear, they clearly just don't necessarily get along with other people. Um, yeah. But they've been together got as a people family. People on their house. <laughs> yeah. But together as a family, I felt like they're not they're not affectionate, they're not effusive, they don't say I love you to each other, but no. they do I guess the the phrase that keeps coming into my head is they hang together, they look after each other. You know, the son, once he gets that job, he works to get the other family members hired. They work as a Yeah, unit. but they do so in the way that, you know, a parasite does. They're not yeah. they're not they're just doing what they can to push themselves higher and that's it at whatever cost and yeah that doesn't make them any that doesn't make them honorable or anything in it no 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 make their family I'm, desirable um, no no and i don't i don't want you to think i'm saying that all i'm saying is that the the one redeeming fact i found out i found about the kim family apart from like i don't think it's redeeming because humor. the thing that keeps them together isn't isn't their bond for each other it's not their care for each other or their love for each other it's the fact that they can use each other hmm. that's sort of how okay. i see it 
And it's the same for, you know, when, when the driver, the dad um, of the Kim family asks uh, the rich dad, um, Mr. Park, he asks him, he's well, kind of casually says, oh, but you love her, right? Like regarding Mr. Kim, Mr. Park's wife. And he's like, oh, he kind of acts strange. And he's like, let's call it that. Um, what holds that family together isn't really much different. And it makes you wonder did what, you know, what they did to get to their wealth. Like, is it very different from what the Kims are doing in a way, you know, uh, being parasites of other people, pushing people down to push themselves up. And when you do that, you just start seeing people as, as objects you can use for your own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They're all kind of doing the same thing. They're all being parasites. Like I think, um, I mean, it's pretty obvious here that the director, um, who is, sorry, I'm just checking my notes, uh, Bong, Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho, um, yeah. he also came up with this story. He had a he had a uh, someone who helped him with the final script, but he he came, he was the story maker, if you like, as well as the director. Um, it's clear here that he's making some comments about the this, this society and societal oh, yeah. hierarchies and structures and how, um, you know, society keeps the poor poor and the rich rich and the rich, you know, use the poor to maintain their, their lifestyle and the poor, are, you know, are, are struggling to sort of claw their way, claw their way up. And, you um you definitely see a lot of symbolism about that in this film. Like you mentioned, the flood and the and the difference it it has. I mean, they're in the same city, but the poor people, uh, you know, um, become destitute, lose their belongings, and um, and are you know hugely impacted by this flood, whereas the rich people are you know barely notice. It, oh, it rained. The air's fresher. Um, but one thing I wanted to just circle back around to you you mentioned you were saying that the family the Kim family are really just using each other Um, well what do you make of the ending then if they're just using each other because um, the son looks like he's going to commit his life to trying to rescue the father yeah I, I, I mean I think the son is probably the only kind of redeemable potentially member of that family in a way. Um, not really. Maybe the daughter as well. The kids. Well, the, the daughter died. <laughs> so, yeah. I think the kids are probably the most redeemable characters out of any of the characters in all the families mm. because they're all much more naive to the situation and they, it's much more understandable why they would do strange things like this. Um, the adults have no real excuse. Um, but i think i think the the kid really the son probably really um looked up to his dad and um he saw him in a way as kind of a visionary like a son who always had a plan um and because he would always ask him you know like what's your plan what's your plan um so i i do think that the son probably did care a lot about about his dad but um I don't, I don't, um, just getting back to that thing about them, about him trying to rescue his dad in a way, I, I don't, I think the implication is that he's never going to achieve that um, and that 
it's kind of a the it's sort of a commentary on the fact that poverty is is it's like a crab bucket you know the the harder you climb the more you fall back down yeah right yeah it's a good I way think of looking that's, at it yeah, yeah i think that's what it's trying I, to say i do yeah. always get sort of surprised by that ending because you know he talks about how he realized he he realised that his father was sending a message via Morse code from the basement of the of the house and he deciphers the, the message. And then he says, so I went to uni and I became rich and I bought back the house. And I'm kind of going, well, that's just far-fetched. Like you don't no, just he says, decide. He says he no, but then I, but then <laughs> I realise he's talking about a fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, the way it's phrased, it does make it sound like, it's all it's going tense. to happen, but it sounds like it's definitely going to happen. But then yeah, you realise, yeah. yeah, then you realise it it's all you. just it shows you as it says it. So it kind of makes you think it must be real. Sorry, my cat's attacking me and he's climbed all over me. <laughs> um, Darcy's wearing a t-shirt that says "Cat Whisperer." By the way, <laughs> um, yeah. A- anyway, I I definitely. Um, even though it sounds like a very depressing movie, it is very fun to watch in a weird way, um, especially, yeah. you know, the start is really fun, seeing them, uh, we, we, you know, uh, Weasler wearing way into that family's life is very entertaining, uh, comedic very much so, but um, it just definitely turns um, and, and goes. Uh, yeah, like, I- the ending of this film of, of Parasite, does it just seems inevitable when it when, like I was surprised again when it got there because I'd actually forgotten how the film ended. But when it gets there and it's and the dad is now living in the basement, it has just this sense of inevitability about it, like it was always going to end up at that point. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting watching it again for me because I didn't really forget any any part of it. So. I wasn't at all surprised at anything. I don't know how you and do it that. Made, it, it sort of gave me a, um, I guess, I don't know, a weird perspective because when you first watch it, there are some things that are meant to surprise you or meant to take you off guard and meant to, because yeah. of the way they shock you, tonally shift the movie. But because I already knew these things were happening, the tone was kind of pre-shifted in my head. Like I knew it was going to, the tone was going to yeah. turn this way. So I was, yeah. I was already taking that into account. And the tone already some in some way felt that way. Like earlier scenes feel more ominous because of later scenes. Ah, uh, yeah, right. Um, that's that's how I sort of watched it this time, at least. Um, and I found that there was, like, I noticed a more sh- foreshadowing, and it felt much more like a dynamic movie that moves through as a gradual build up, and you really see it um, play out. Uh, you can see how it, how it turns that way. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh no. And and yeah, that's another great thing about um, you know, there's a lot of signalling of what's going to happen later in the film. You know, they've they've got a bit of a Chekhov's gun in that it's not a gun, it's a it's a massive rock <laughs> that gets yes. presented to the to the um family as a gift. And that rock yeah, because it'll uh, bring well. comes into play <laughs> later on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, there's a few things like that where you just know. You do sort of get a sense of 
where things are heading and that it's not all going to be um, sunshine and roses. So should we talk about the climactic scene, the birthday party? Sure, yeah. Just dive in. Oh, to me, um, yeah, it's a really good climactic scene, the way it builds to it. It's... Um, You've just come away from the flood. The, the Paul family, the Kim family have, have been forced out of their home and then they get messages to say they're, even though it's a Saturday, their employer wants them to show up to their son's birthday party. And so they have to, you know, um, they're in sort of this stadium where they've been evacuated to and they have to find clean clothes and clean themselves up and get to their house. Otherwise, you know, if they don't turn up, they might not been um i don't know that they'd be sacked but the family would definitely um not be happy with them and then the dad is like you said earlier chauffeuring the, the rich mum around picking up all, all these expensive <laughs> groceries and alcohol and 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 she's on the phone constantly having these sort of just um meaningless conversations that yeah. just reinforce how wealthy she is she even says this really throwaway line which i didn't really think of at the time but it it really um if i was in his shoes it would grind me to no end um when when she's people on the phone because she's, she's inviting people because it's kind of an impromptu party and they're like oh what's the um dress code and she's like oh it's impromptu you can wear anything you could even turn up in sweatpants um and what they usually wear every day is sweatpants, like the the Kim family. The, yeah. The, so it's kind of like she's saying, oh, you can even wear that as if it's a bad thing to wear. She's yeah. Kind of degrading. Oh, it, there's so many might, things. Which is a very throwaway that, thing. And um, yeah. it's a very common thing to, to, I guess, you know, in wealthy circles to, to get that, I don't know, for some people that's just everyday wear. Like Yeah. Well, she's just being she's being really offensive in almost without everything she says knowing. without knowing. In a very she's, ignorant way, yeah. In a very casual, ignorant way. She seems to have grown up in a very privileged lifestyle from you oh, know, her whole life. That's, you get the impression that she's always been sheltered and wealthy. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily to say it's her fault, it's just it's almost the, the society's fault. Like of of the the uh, the upper class way of life in a way yeah like the way she's saying to everybody it's her son's birthday party but she's telling everyone oh no need to bring a present not at all where she knows that of course everybody will bring a present because it's a birthday party but you know um the just the way she she re keeps saying that over and over again just emphasizes that they're so well off that they really don't care about presence at all yeah um and she comes across very easily as as such a lovely and nice person and she kind of is but she also is just yeah very ignorantly rude oh, and yeah. condescending and, and awful in very uh casual ways um yeah. Yeah. She's, she, oh, she's such a combination, isn't she? She's the rich mum. She's she's very naive. She's very um, uh, spoiled. Um, and but she can also be very demanding. 
you know, when they um, oh, yeah. when they're coming home I, late I at really night. Yeah, she'll just suddenly ask for something that's actually quite like they're eight minutes away from home. She's like, "Oh, you can make this meal, right? It'll be done just in time." If you right? start right now, it'll be ready just as we pull up. Yeah, just as we pull up, it'll be ready. Um, eight minutes away, like no preparation. I mean, what if you know, like there's no respect there. Yeah, there's no, oh, sorry to interrupt your evening when you thought you were going to have the evening off. <laughs> yeah, you know, why not, like, oh, don't worry, I'll make it kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, and she wouldn't it, know it, how. No, she wouldn't. That That's out of the question. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's it's very, that one is, is one of the but most. But I think, of her, of her I think my, um, my least likable character for me, and this, goes back to the yeah. birthday party, is the dad, the rich dad. Oh, yeah. Um, because, Definitely. you know, there's the thing where he, um, yeah, that scene that you mentioned before where the chauffeur, who's the poor dad, asks Mr Park, uh, he says something like, oh, but you love her, right, in relation to his wife, and he does that mm. weird look. And he says, sure, let's call it that. And you just know that he's probably philandering, you know, he's probably having affairs. He, she's a good wife to him in the sense that she looks good. She plays the part. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him. He doesn't acknowledge her when he walks into a room. He just walks straight past and doesn't even look at her, doesn't say anything. Yeah. Um, And they barely talk to each other. They walk around the house as different people. Um, yeah, he's out all the time. Like they just have completely, they're just completely yeah. in separate people who don't know each other. Um, yeah, yeah. And, they, and then they, there's um, yeah, yeah. They're just there, you know, because of wealth and their kids. Really, that's all that, yeah. that kind of keeps them together. <laughs> and but they pretend. Um, you know, when he's sort of getting to know his new chauffeur and he gets him to drive him around and he's just holding a coffee cup without yeah. a lid on it and um, and then the chauffeur, he says that he's going to have to find a new housekeeper or something and the chauffeur passes him a card, which is obviously a mock-up that um, his daughter, who knows a bit of graphic design, has, has made up this card that looks really... Um, you know, expensive prestigious, and yeah. prestigious. And and he's sucked in by it. He's so easy to suck in because anything exclusive, expensive, yeah. he's he says, immediately... oh, it's for VIP people. It's for a VIP he, service. He says it's for VIPs. And um, and the, the, the dad, Mr. Park, says, oh, you can tell it's elite because um, of its simple style or whatever. Like it's yeah. very blank and minimalistic. And he's like, oh, you can tell it's premium. Interestingly, um, when um, he rings the number, actually he gets his wife to ring up and organise the ha- the housekeeper. This the, the daughter's pretending to be like the receptionist, and she asks them for things like their property title, and yeah. their, and she just goes, "Oh yeah, no worries." Like, you know, if things had continued on that trajectory, they would have ended up. Basically they could have, that house. <laughs> they could have committed identity fraud. Oh yeah, you know? they could have totally swindled they that could family have, out of the They could house. have the movie could have gone down a route where they, you know, forget the whole basement thing. They murder the family and take <laughs> on their identity. Yeah, they could that have. That could be a whole other movie. Um, it would be a very different movie, but that would also be an interesting movie. <laughs> Well, when I first saw this, I kind of thought that's where it was heading. But anyway, so the dad I just find just really 
the most uh, just stuffy, pompous, um, yeah, superficial, he just has such a rude attitude. He's he doesn't even pretend to be nice. That's the worst thing is he doesn't pretend. Yeah. He's just like he's cold. And anytime anyone ever challenges him or puts any kind of roughness in his way, um, and his sailing isn't smooth, he just turns very serious and gets very upset um, and acts very emotional. Uh, you know, like yeah, when yeah, yeah, when when the dad doesn't want to participate on their sort of birthday, they're the well. Dad, that's yeah, that's where really I was eventually team. circling back to. I was taking ages to get there, but yeah, that's the scene that really clinches it for me because he makes the um, the chauffeur dress up as, which is the poor dad, dress up as um, you know an American Indian or you know native with a, with a with a with a stupid headdress. Yeah. And um, it really shows their out. naivety and ignorance even more that they always just say Indian. Yeah, oh, like look, they there's so many don't even bother to scene. like to research I, it at all. You know, they don't. No, care. but I feel like the dad cares, and the dad feels humiliated by having to do this dress up. Oh, you but mean the, the poor dad? Uh, yeah. The poor dad. The poor dad feels humiliated. The rich dad looks at him and says, "What are you worried about? I'm paying you extra." He says, he, he even says, like, because they, they act like they're having fun and the dad, the, the rich dad's kind of like, Mr. Park is kind of like, oh, yeah, let's do this, blah, blah, blah. And it seems like it's kind of a fun thing. And then the uh, Mr. Kim is kind of, like, wary and makes some wary comments. And then Mr. Park goes, you know, uh, just take this, you know, why are you complaining? See this, you're being paid for this extra. Take this as your job. Like, he just says very seriously, this is your job. I'm paying you to do this. Like, you can't backtalk against me. Yeah. And he who, like, who pays somebody to, oh, I guess people pay party clowns and things, but it just feels weird. It feels weird the way it's done. And, well, um, it's the fact that they don't have respect. I mean, when you buy, when yeah. you hire a clown or a magician to come to a kid's party, you're, you do typically you would show respect to that person. You're like, this is someone who does something I can't do, and I'm going to pay them for that service. Yeah, uh, and the chauffeur is not a party clown. They are they they are taking someone, putting them into do you know making them do something that isn't within their job, paying them extra, and then making them feel belittled for doing it for for like questioning yeah, it in a way yeah and being like i'm they, they just as soon as any of the people that work for them are slightly don't just listen to them every beck and call they're like they turn from being these nice friendly loving quote-unquote loving family they treat you know they they try to normally treat all their staff as their family in a way um they turn from that to instantly i pay you you can't. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. go from you're my family to you're the help very yeah. quickly. Um, so because he's so unlikable and, uh, you know, it's a very deliberate choice from um, from Bong Joon-ho to make him so unlikable, yeah. um, it's very satisfying when he uh, gets, gets <laughs> It is quite satisfying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dad just picks up that knife and, and stabs him. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I, love I was really we... sad, though, that the daughter also got stabbed and killed. 
Yeah, that is really the sad. the poor she's, daughter. She's probably one of the least deserving characters in that film to to die. You know, um, all, all the parents were awful and probably all kind of would have deserved what came coming in a way. But um, the kids didn't really, especially the daughter. She didn't really do anything that bad. I mean, she did commit fraud in a way. She she forgery more so. Oh, um, but, yeah. She forged the documents. Yeah, I know she's yeah. a real con artist, but you sort of rooted yeah. for her because but, she was scrappy. Look, she would have got <laughs> look. What all they were doing was conning their way into a not that crazy of a role. They weren't becoming doctors. They were just becoming small staff members of a random household. They would have got a slap on their wrist yeah. and maybe a small fine. That's all they would have gotten from um, any kind of judge or court. It wouldn't have well, been yeah, case. I actually think the family would have been too embarrassed if they found out. To yeah, they probably would have just them out yeah. and said nothing of it, swept the record clean. They wouldn't have gone to court over it probably. <sighs> but, um, you know, what I found really interesting is that the, or one of the most you know, frustrating parts in the movie, and this is what makes you want, even you as the watcher, the viewer, <laughs> the watcher, uh, kind of want Mr. Park to die in a way is yeah. when like you, you see a lot of this stuff boil up and you get frustrated too not as much as the dad probably <laughs> but um the, you, you you do feel for the dad in a way um Mr. Kim um as Mr. Park behaves throughout the film and then there's the moment where their son is having a seizure and they go on about this 15 minute w- window which I don't even know if that's true or not um it sounds bizarre maybe it is true don't Sorry, when did you say their son's having a seizure? Their son's having a seizure because he's seen the ghost that he saw as a kid, which is the man that lives in the basement. Remember the first time he sees that man, he has a seizure, the kid, because he gets so scared. He has a seizure again when he sees him. Well, he's also carrying a knife and attacking everybody. Yes, either way, the point is the kid is having a seizure. Okay, gotcha. And that's bad. You know, a seizure's not a good thing. But um, Mr. Kim's daughter has literally been stabbed in the in heart. In the heart, yeah. Um, which She's is just bleeding everywhere. And that doesn't have a 15-minute window. That has, you know, a, potentially a five-minute or less window, uh, yeah. maybe two-minute window. That That is a very serious incident. And everyone, not just the parents, but everyone is crowding around the kid because it's the wealthy, it's the birthday boy, it's the wealthy family's kid, it's the it's the star child. Um, they're all crowding around and they're all yelling at the dad to throw the keys, throw the keys, why aren't you throwing us the keys? And he's just there crying over his daughter. His daughter. Dying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And no one's caring. They're not saying, oh, my God, are you okay? They're not coming rushing to her to help. Hmm. They're just asking, can you throw the keys so we can save our rich kid? Um, and it's, you know, it's sad that this kid is suffering from a seizure, but seizures aren't always a deadly incident. Um, I don't know. Oh, no, it's really, um, it's, it's just really horrible the way that they just don't care about his daughter They just at don't all. care at all. They, they don't take any common sense. They're not like, oh, I'll I go mean, back even to if, if and if drive. You take... Then they're like, you have to take your attention. But it, it, even if you take into account the fact that they don't actually know that they're related to each other because they've been pretending to be, um, you know, strangers, even taking that into yeah. account, if a young woman gets stabbed at and your no house and no one cares and she's lying there bleeding out, 
like it's just horrendous but because she's yeah. the hired help her her yep. life has has very little value to them she can yep. be replaced exactly and she does she does end up dying and and their son you think that the son oh, has probably I, died as well because he order, you know surely he's dead <laughs> Being oh, beat over the head by a rock God. several times, and you even see him get hit one last time. Oh, uh, that's awful! It always makes me that <laughs> last, like, it's this massive rock, and it gets dropped on his head. Oh, yeah, it it's not as gruesome as you expect it to be. Like you expect when you see the last final drop on his head for him to kind of squish like a bug in a way, but he just kind of gets knocked, and you don't really see well, too much. I um, wouldn't know because I, I always look away at that point. I, I always expect as the rock hits him. I can't, I, think the, I can't watch it. I think the anticipation of the rock falling is the worst part because it, as it's falling, you you imagine all the things that's going to happen. You imagine his head's going to burst open, whatever. But it just kind of hits him and, and he just kind of, uh, his body kind of bounces in reaction, you know, like uh, reflex uh, kind of reaction to being hit. Um, but you don't see much gore in that in that moment. Okay. Um, so it's well, not that gruesome. <laughs> The anticipation is much worse. Yeah, I can't watch it. But um, but yeah. So the house, the old housekeeper's husband basically um goes crazy, climbs out of the basement, attacks everybody with a knife, and um and then he dies, doesn't he? He gets killed. Yes, he got skewered by. A kebab. It's oh, kebab. that's right. That's right. The barbecue. A giant, a giant kebab pole, like a, a barbecue. Pole like a spit. A, a yeah, spit. It's a yeah. Yeah. It's roasting meat, and he gets stabbed with it while there's still meat in it. And there's a funny scene at the end where the dog is chewing the meat off the, the yeah. spit that's stuck through this guy. Oh my god. What happens? It's to really the comical old... at times. Ah, oh, there's always love... that sort of slapstick. Oh, to totally. It. And I what love that little to the scene. Old, um, sorry, you go. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I love that little scene where um, the the son is waking up from his coma at the end or whatever um, after being knocked out by the giant rock. Um, yeah, and it's like weeks He gets later. brain surgery. Yeah, he gets brain surgery and he wakes up and there's a doctor who he thinks doesn't look much like a doctor and a, um, a detective who doesn't look like a detective. And the detective is trying to read him his Miranda rights. Um, but he keeps laughing uncontrollably, um, and the doctor and the the like the detective just keeps uh, like getting interrupted by the laughter and being thrown off. Like he doesn't just say the Miranda rights and move on. He keeps um, reacting overly to the fact that the kids laughing at him, and it's yeah. a very funny scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a good scene. Um, I was just going to say, what happens to the old housekeeper does she die in that final in that climactic scene or does she live maybe she lives i can't i think i my assumption is that she was actually already dead um downstairs because oh yeah that's right because she got bashed over the head yeah she did she She died she died they bury her in the garden she says i'm dizzy whatever you know like i'm 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 really busy the dad the other dad but the the poor dad ends up because that's right that's right, because I remember saying to Kez when we were re-watching it last weekend um, and the dad ended up um, hiding in the basement and that, that's where he lives now. I'm like, but he's down there with a dead body. Like that's going to be really disgusting and gross because the old housekeeper died and she's down there. But then you see him 
carry the body out at night and bury her in in the yard in the garden. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, no one else knew that she was down there. You know, no one yeah. knows that, that bunker exists. You can really just escape there. Um, I I kind of like the fact that that's where he escapes to in a way. Not you know, not that that's a likable thing to happen, but. Uh, it's very circular the story for that to make sense. Yeah, uh, to do it, and it's a very clever uh, escape tactic because he vanishes into thin air, and you know as the viewer where he's gone, but no one else does. Even before it shows you, you know that he's there. You know that he's there. Yeah, it's a little bit. Um, he has it a little bit rougher than the other fellow that was living down there because at least the <laughs> other fellow had his wife working upstairs as a housekeeper. Yes, you could come take him he down. He could skip. Yeah, uh, sneak food down to him, whereas he he almost starves to death when the house is empty for a while. And so there's no even um, bell. <laughs> yeah, our family move out. Yeah, and then a, and then a German family move in, but he said, you know, every time he goes upstairs at night, he's worried the housekeeper yeah. will find see him. So yeah, not a, not a great existence that he has, but anyway, but it's better than going to jail, I guess. Although in some ways. I don't know if it is better than going to jail. It is stuck, jail. I was thinking about that. I was like, he is in he's in worse jail. He is in worse than jail. He's stuck in the basement. Because he doesn't know when he's gonna, gonna get out. Yeah. All he can do is 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 go out and scrounge some food maybe once every few days. Yeah. Or maybe once a day if he's very lucky. And he's and it's in the middle of the get, night. And, yeah, you get an hour of yard time. You get some social activity, actually. You get workshops. You sometimes get education. Like, it's not not to say prison's nice, but he was in worse prison. He was in solitary confinement yeah. in a danky, stinky, dingy little bunker. Yeah, never got to talk to anyone. And the worst thing of all is never knowing when your sentence is going to end. Yeah. No, he no, doesn't know how long he'll be there. Yeah. He could have had a, you know, a nice 15 years um, in prison. <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, so does um yeah the name of the movie we've mentioned that the family the poor family are like par a parasite but what what do you think the name of the film do you think it does refer to that poor family or do you well, think it is I, I think it literally is you know in a literal way uh referring to them but in a more metaphorical way because you know for the namesake of the film that's sort of what it's about. It's about them being a parasite and what that results in. And then and, and more as it develops, the other family also being a parasite that lives in the bunker. Um, and But but what it more reveals, I think, in a metaphorical way, is that um, is how everyone is a, in a, is a parasite in a way. That's such a cheesy thing to say, oh, everyone was the reason, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, we're all the bad We're guys. all parasites. You can but, be a um, parasite. <laughs> the fact that, like, that each at each level they are all parasites on one another. Everyone yeah. is constantly pushing down others just to make their own life better. It's it's kind of a metaphor for the for the classes in society in in capitalism to go all real um, <laughs> uh, philosophical. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I, and I do really like the fact that it never really. He doesn't really tell you which which parasite the film is about, and I think it does then encourage you to ponder the question, which is always a good thing. 
I actually think, though, that really? for me, the parasite is the one living in the bunker. So, you know, the, f the first half of the movie, it's the um, it's the old housekeeper's husband, and then at the end of the film, it's the um, it's the poor dad living in the bunker because they're literally like living below ground in the dark, sneaking well, so up the... to get food. Like that's exactly what Mr. Kim. You've just described what the Kim family are doing. They are living literally downhill in the dark in a basement and they sneak up to the upper family to steal their food and their money you've described mm. the exact same thing so no, okay it's, all just, it's a metaphor <laughs> all right you're smart alec yeah no i definitely agree with you that, no that you do make a really good point yeah and i think that um symbolism of them living in this uh, like half basement where they can barely elevation see is definitely a metaphor oh, like emotion, yeah um throughout the whole film a motif, yeah, yeah. Motif. and stairs <laughs> going up, going up and down stairs. It's definitely a, um, mm -hmm. you know, There's when you go upstairs, you go, you go to a better life, and when you go downstairs, Even when you enter where where they enter the uh, park residency, the the rich family, they actually there's another flight of stairs from the garage or garage or the sort of the doorway of the house up to the main floor. Yeah, like you, you rise up just from the from the rich street up another level you know just yeah you go up and up up, up and up. Elevated there. <laughs> um just some interesting little snippets about this movie um i mentioned earlier that the the point where the tone of the movie changes is when that housekeeper the, the the old housekeeper returns to the house in the middle of the night ringing the doorbell that mm. is it that does happen at exactly the halfway point which i think is very deliberate but it's interesting, interesting. um the other thing I found really interesting about this, or two things, um, uh, uh, Bong Joon-ho doesn't give a lot of, doesn't really give direction to his actors. From his point of view is that I'm the director, you're the actor. You you do, you do take care of the acting, I'll take care of the directing. So he basically yeah. just lets them interpret uh, their roles and, and get on with it. That's a style of directorship I really love and admire. Like directors aren't actors and actors aren't directors. Like you need to give space for them to work. Once you hand over your kind of directions and the role to the character, they should take it and make of it what they hmm. can. You can't tell the actor how to act, I don't think. You can yeah. give them the directions, but that's where your job kind of ends. Um, I think that's yeah. I think some directors just have a very singular view of how they 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 feel they see this their film and this is how oh, the film yeah. should look. Oh yeah, they wrote but, it, you know, um, they get very controlling over it. Yeah, but I think what what that does, what that style of um, yeah, letting the actors just interpret the the roles and and they're even allowed to ad lib and and things. Hmm. You know, every other part of this film definitely comes from the mind of Bong Joon Ho, and it's very controlled. The imagery is very controlled, and the you know the scenes, the story structure is very controlled. But by allowing the actors to have a little bit of freedom over what they do, it 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 releases it from that straitjacket and brings a bit oh, more totally. life to the story. I mean, so I think that that's really important. Perspective. It, it takes like um if you're just in your bubble, like writing, creating your own thing, which I think is important to a point. I think if you get, you know, those often when you have a big writer's room, like a big writer's room, you know, and they do this on a lot of big movies um, with a bunch of people creating ideas and all writing it together, you come out with a movie that isn't for anyone. 
it's too yeah. saturated. Um, I think it's really important to have one or two people focus on the core story. But beyond yeah. that, everything, like, you need to bring in perspective. You need other people to look at it and give their feedback or put their mark on it, you know, and, and having actors come in and like, actually, you know, you've written it this way, but but I think perhaps it could be this this could be an interesting take or maybe this is yeah. something you know, and it, and it kind of gives the director maybe something they never even thought of. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting because you, you've got so many amazing resources around you. You've got experienced actors who are just invaluable resources around you. I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, yeah, giving letting other artists bring their creativity and their, yeah, their skill and talent to your project is only going to enhance it, isn't it? Exactly. Um, and the other thing I found interesting, and um, I don't quite understand this how, how this works because I'm not a film director or a film editor, but apparently he edits as he, like immediately as he films. So he actually mm. has the editor on the on this. and he'll film a scene and then get the editor to cut it and he only films what he knows he's absolutely going to use because he's, you know, storyboarded it all to death. But it's an interesting oh. way to film because um, apparently, you know, a lot of directors will just film a lot of extra extra scenes or scenes from different directions so that yeah. they have they have a little bit of a buffer there in case something becomes unusable or they've missed something, they can they can sort of piece something together. But he doesn't have any fat. There's too many movies that are just bloated. Um, yeah. And I think that it comes down to them taking too many shots that they love and writing so much that they can't scrape it away. But if you're only filming the bare minimum scenes, it's going to, and as you're editing it, if you need to add another scene, you don't have it there. You have to set everything up and do it all um, at from there, from that moment that you decide that you need it. And that's a big undertaking. So it's really going to make you think critically, does this scene need to be there? And I think that's a big contributor to why hmm. film is good. So takeaways from this film, Dust. What what's your takeaway? Oh, takeaway is uh, I love it. I just love <laughs> it. It's a roller coaster. It's um, and I'm gonna upgrade to a ten out of ten because I really didn't. I was gonna scrutinize it and find criticisms, but I really can't floor it. Any of the things fault I it. don't like about, yeah, fault, fault the, yeah, I can't really fault it. That's it. Um, any kind of thing that you say oh i don't I, that I can think oh i don't like this about the movie it's more within the movie it's not about the movie you know it's more like i don't like this character but that's a key part of the film so there's nothing about the film that i can spot as me not liking um and i really it's just the vision of, of this amazing director and it was well deserving of um it's yeah i think it's a fantastic film if you haven't seen it just just watch it um it's just incredible it's not you know, too scary. You'll definitely see something um, different to any other movie you've ever seen before, I think. Oh, without doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And I think think this this was a really good choice, Darcy, following on from our movie last week where we really really went to town on um, how bad we thought um, House of Gucci was. was. Um, That is a very similar story in a way. It's a... But in a different way, it's, it, is, it involves class structure, it involves family, and it involves murder. 
Yeah, but, it, uh, but you know, obviously some real contrasts there as well in the way the movie's made. and Poorly, very poorly executed. There was yeah. too, too much fluff. Um, anyway, yes. we're not that one, but in contrast. I think, I think we said all that last time, but um, totally. I, I just feel like um, my takeaway from this, one of the criticisms we had of um, House of Gucci was that it was an Italian story, but it wasn't told with Italian actors um, in the in the language in Italian. Let alone an Italian director or writer. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, any director could have chosen to do the story, but still do it. Exactly. Yeah. But um, what we see here is a really Korean story told from the point of view of a Korean with Korean actors in in. Um, Korean language, (laughs) and um, and, but it's just so interesting and accessible for anybody, and it and it did do amazingly well. It did amazingly well at the box office. Um, It it won the best film. It didn't. It didn't. I know that you don't think a lot of Oscars, but they are a bit of a barometer. It didn't win best foreign film. It won best film of the Oscars. So, you know, I think um, my takeaway from this is that when you've got a good story and you tell it well, take risks. Do do it the way you know it needs to be done because that'll be a more authentic Mm. and a better better outcome. There's a big um, trend in uh, some countries to to gain popularity in the West. They will specifically partner with Western studios um, to bring in a big name actor. Um, there's been a, a lot of these films recently where it'll be primarily set in a foreign country but have a big name uh, American actor. And that is a specific choice from production companies in foreign countries trying to make it big in the West. Oh, but yeah. I think I think that pr- this proves that you don't need to do that. And in, in, in this has done better than those films have done. Um, Ah, I think yeah. you take what you have and just show it off. Like what I what I always think of, and this is a very weird and kind of off-topic thing to think about, but um, the company Sony was founded on a very interesting idea. It the I think the, I can't remember who specifically said this, but I think it was the founder um, or potentially you know one of the CEOs or something in its history said. Um, they said, "I want so I want." the goal for Sony is to make Japan known for quality, not Sony known for quality, Japan as a country. Mm. And Japan has gained that adage, like technology from Japan is often seen as this kind of cool thing. It's seen as a good thing. Um, but uh, that I love that idea that they just knew that they could do something profoundly good using their own resources and make it well known, doing what they do best. Um, but what Sony could do. And they kind of shaped the history of Japan in a way because of that. And I think about that in, a, in this context because they're not, they're just doing, Bong Joon-ho is doing what he does best, which is make films, and he's doing it without trying to, trying to pander to a Western audience. He's just doing mm. his best job at making an amazing film without probably even thinking about the um the success of it in a way that's that probably wasn't even really a potentially a factor for him 
Um, it seems like a movie that just had to be told. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. I think he, I think it's a good, you know, the good moral to this story is that, you know, be true to yourself and to your, um, your vision. Build and, it and um, they will come. <laughs> build it and they will come. Yeah. But yeah. Terrific. I, yeah. I, I can't really. I think that's part of my film. biggest takeaway actually is that like you often see people who build themselves in the shadow of something else that's great always are just kind of living in that shadow in a weird way yeah, like if, you're, of, yeah. if you're you know just trying to do something that's already been that's that's not yours and it's, you're just doing it because someone else has done it or others are doing it and that's mm. the thing to do but if you just do something that you love un you know unashamedly that will get recognition usually mm. if you mm. if you really try it can get recognition and that, that's my key i guess that's my key takeaway from this um, <laughs> whenever i try to do something creative i often think about oh how will this sound to someone who isn't from australia you know for example i think about that too much and um it's something i shouldn't worry about because if i make something that's good it shouldn't matter if it's australian <laughs> um, well there's plenty of good australian filmmakers for instance that are you know embracing their australianness and and still having amazing success so anyway oh um, totally no but it's it's something it's something i think anyone outside of america thinks about to be honest hmm. in the creative field i think anyone outside of america will probably inevitably think how will this seem to an american audience yeah oh yeah and we have a long tradition in australia because you're not you know you're not successful unless you're famous in america that's kind of the thing like uh any film that's outside of america's foreign film or indie film or anything like that it's kind of america seen as this kind of artificial standard um and i think this kind of proves that you don't need to hold yourself to that standard yeah i agree yeah all right anyway let's let's call it that's we got um, quite a long one <laughs> but um, a very very good one yeah um so, so shall I tell week, you about what film me. I've picked for next week? You know that I like to connect the films up, Darcy. Um, so I was having a bit of a read about um, Bong Joon-ho and, and a bit of the background of this movie, and I stumbled upon a list of his top ten films in no particular order. And so I, um, I've picked one of the films that, that Bong Joon-ho was – it, it, it's one of his favourite films. And the film, I, yeah, one of his top ten. Oh, one of his, yeah, okay, yep. You with me? So it's a film that he's made, or one that he? No, likes? no, no, a film that he likes. Okay, sorry, yeah, yeah, that's what I was on thinking. Cool. <laughs> um, and the film is the nineteen ninety six film of Fargo by the Coen Brothers. Not oh, to be confused with the um, not to be confused with the TV series that's been mm-hmm. out recently. This is the film, um, yeah, standing, uh, starring, for us. <laughs> standing, um, uh, anyway, starring Francis McDormand, who uh, is terrific. But um, I think I'll, I won't say too much about that one now. I think mm-hmm. it'll be a good one for us to unpack next week, Definitely. and. Okay. Um, I think that's it for tonight. Yeah. For today. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and don't forget to follow us on social media at Augie and the Alien. 
Uh, you can also email us or, or uh, leave a review if you like this episode and, and rate it. Um, it really helps. Um, otherwise, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. It's a bit eerie because I was, you know, watching it alone um, at night. And when it finished, I heard a thud. In my oh, no. Oh, no. The credits were still rolling. So I couldn't quite hear it. So I paused. And then I heard it again. It sounded distinctively in my basement. Like, I'm close to my neighbors. I thought it was just one of theirs. But it sounded very distinctively downstairs. So I... <laughs> I... Grabbed a knife in the kitchen and walked out the basement. <laughs> oh, no. And I stood there for a moment, waiting and listening with my hands on either wall to feel where the vibration wow. was like coming from this sound. I heard I imagine if, like, that housekeeper from... had come up wearing a raincoat, going, Oh, you've got to let me in. <laughs> um, and I heard nothing aside from a few little, uh, like, maybe little bumps or something. I don't know. Um, and then I went to the garage, there was nothing. And then I heard it again. And it was obviously, um, some, someone, presumably a kid next door bouncing a basketball, Uh. but the basketball made it like, even when I was standing in the garage, um, it sounded as though it was, it was almost in the room with me. Um, it was just, (laughs) it really freaked me out at first. Um, I love how you went down with a knife. I can just imagine getting the phone call from you. Mom, I've killed somebody with my knife.